3: You built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid
2: Cancer Show. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs>
0: Hey kids! <laughs>
1: People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely
2: late.
3: And now the hosts of the stupid cancer show,
0: Lisa Bernhard and Matthew at Doesn't there's anything
1: wrong with us? <laughs> oh yeah. Monday, June 27th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show with a voice of young adult cancer. I'm Matthew Zachary, your host, a 15-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer.
2: And I'm Lisa Bernhard, 16-year survivor of breast cancer, young
1: adult survivor,
2: that is, of course. And we're your hosts, as Matthew said, for the Stupid Cancer Show.
1: Alright, righty, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because... The Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time.
2: Tonight we've got a great show. Stay with us as we talk to Julie Clark, the founder of Baby Einstein and a young adult breast cancer survivor. She's also the author of You Are the Best Medicine. And in our survivor spotlight, you know where you love her, Amanda Freeman, our broadcast production associate here at the Stupid Cancer Show. She's a young adult survivor of sarcoma.
1: As a reminder, this broadcast is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. Online at stupidcancer.com, we help young adults fight cancer every day and bring the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. Because it's not okay. Not okay. It's not okay. That 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So hello, my friends. Hello, Hello, Lisa. hello Amanda. Hi. Welcome to get another fun and exciting romp through the heads of tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure, and survivorship is all that matters.
2: And a Stupid Cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes, as we broadcast all the way live from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan.
1: The Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat feed during every broadcast. We invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And I would like to welcome Insidio tonight, as always, Mr. James Manning. What's up? How you doing, buddy? Wow. That was hardcore, James. I never heard anything like that come from you. James' personality is coming out every time he Whoa. shows up. Yes. And we are welcoming for the first time uh, one of our fabulous interns for the season, the lovely Grace McDermott. Hello. Hello, Grace. <laughs> That was that was kind of like James demure. James, and coy. show her how to use a microphone like James a real person.
2: Much better. Right H- Hello. Oh, much better. There you
1: are. How you doing? Good. Now Grace comes to us by the way of our illustrious Kenneth Kane, our VP operations. Not Kenny, in the house tonight. No, Grace is a friend of a friend of Kenny's. You make him sound fo- so professional. He's <laughs> Kenneth Kenneth J Kane.
2: Any v- friend of a friend of Kenny's is a friend of ours.
1: Or a friend of a friend of ours. Yes. Yeah, Good point. <laughs> Yeah, I don't really like you, but you're a friend of a friend, yeah. so I have oh, thank to. thank you. <laughs> anyway, so, Grace, um, how have you in, been enjoying uh, your first couple of weeks? When did you start, en- actually? Enjoying being the uh, operative word.
2: It's been like... Four weeks now. I think. It's
1: been about a month. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. How have you been enjoying your uh, your time with us so far? It's
2: been terrible. The whole, no, I'm just that's the right answer. We don't want
1: good people going on. We're gonna we're gonna send you out into the world not prepared for anything.
2: She doesn't care about buttering up the boss. That's refreshing.
1: No, no it's, it's been good. awful. I hate it. It's good stuff. You're a tyrant. Yeah. No, it's wonderful.
2: We we went to Google. Best best thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah,
1: heart. find like me another this. organization where their interns get to go to Google unless they're at Google already. Do yeah. tell. What's the
2: Google story?
1: We have a friend, a, named, a friend. Of a friend of a friend. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, Christine Van Valen is a young adult cancer survivor. Van which, Halen? Van Valen. Okay. No, not... Sorry. Yes, I'm going to cue up Eddie Van Halen's jump now. Christine Van Valen is a friend of the organization's young adult cancer survivor. Attended the OMG Cancer Summit uh, this uh, March, April? Well, I forget when it was. I think it was in April. April, okay. <laughs> and uh, came up to me afterwards, said I worked for Google, Um, she knew I had already been working advising Google with their health Uh, initiatives. This is all
2: coming back to me now. Yeah.
1: So uh, we got friendly online. Kenny got organized with them. We set up a time and a date to go over there to discuss how we can work together on some local projects and some fun stuff, not with Google, like the company, but Google employees um, often get together with certain boutique projects that they get together and fun stuff to do with it they get paid to do by their job it's called the 20% program or something where if they do 20% of their job on off Google programs they still get paid for it as long as they have something to show for it so yes we took our illustrious new intern Grace McDermott to Google headquarters on 9th Avenue and uh, 17th Street or 16th Street here in Manhattan and uh you were pretty wowed up, weren't you? Yeah. Did they
2: have like cool things like ping pong yeah. tables and like all kinds of wild video games and cool they furniture have an and like ice cream
1: truck? Is, in, like I was
2: gonna in, say in like a cafeteria. lot of playthings and no, they have yeah. an
1: ice cream truck,
2: like a good humor man in the office. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Okay, now I'm really jealous. Yeah. <laughs> the cafeteria
1: was like the spectacle of a lifetime. Yes. Seriously. The cafeteria wow. And it's all free. Yeah. It's all free.
2: <laughs> you know, And I, it's all like
1: organic and vegan and healthy yeah. too. Like well, you can't eat even eat candy. it if you wanted to. Yeah, you do yeah. get like the, the non pareils with uh <laughs> yeah. with the whipped cream. But yeah, they had yeah. ice cream. Yeah, yeah. They, they did have ice cream.
2: Was it like tofu, tofu-di, frozen tofutti? It was, or was actually it...
1: mashed cauliflower frozen. <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: that, for that frozen kale again. Yeah,
1: fr- <laughs> yeah <curse> you, kale. <laughs> Look,
2: it. I think we dream big. I fully expect that within a month's time. I want to see the I2Y logo integrated with the Google logo on the homepage. Why can't we have that?
1: I'm trying to think, like, of some neologism where that would work, like the i 2 gold, y
2: Matthew, if anybody can come up with it, you can. I think I
1: just did, the i Get, 2 gold, yeah, y Yeah, that's
2: right. Get right in there.
1: That was the worst thing I've ever done right there. Come on. <laughs> okay.
2: We, we need to make that happen.
1: But in all seriousness, like, I'm, she's very talented. She's very professional. She's Thank mature you. for her age really and good
2: she, looking all, she, things that, all things that all no,
1: and she's damn cute,'t that I care about that, but all, all, like she she does a good job all
2: things she, that go against the grain of i two except for the cuteness
1: yeah we 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 do have cute people working around here. Have
0: we ever hired anybody who is no. not mature for their age?
1: um look yes, everybody we can't mention them on the oh, wait.
0: I forgot about that
1: we can't mention this it's I that know. movie with um Oh, that M. Night Shyamalan movie where, like, they, they live in the woods, and it's like, you think it's 1800, right. Right. but it's really, like, 21st century. And William Hurst like, it is that which we do not speak. <laughs> yes, there you go.
0: I love that movie. Yes,
1: exactly.
2: Well,
0: but so by the answer to
1: question is yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, well, here's the thing. By and large, you know, everybody that works for us has had cancer, so they've yes. had to
1: grow up quickly. Yeah, Grace, what's your excuse?
2: I'm a vegetarian. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't had cancer. No, that's but, but fine. That's
1: good. But that's a yes. good thing. Yes. We keep that's forgetting a that's thing. a good thing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a very good thing.
2: It's it, it, it's an yeah. awesome thing, and we welcome you with open arms regardless.
1: You know, Thank you can you. tilt the mic down as well instead of, like, you're like a uh, whack-a-mole. Like I like to pretend that
2: I'm taller. Than James, than. help her with that. Yeah,
1: that's okay. Come on. Come on, she's James. an intern, you know. Put, she's put, learning.
2: Put the same muscle into it <laughs> as you did with your WASOP, James. <laughs>
1: how many interns does it take? <laughs> to lower the microphone. Very nice. I keep forgetting nice. how this So there's been some big news. Well, this let me week. let me let me do my, my cheap shot news on with Chicago. Oh. I gotta give a shout out to, I to watch Chicago tonight for an amazing two day adventure that Kenny and I had with Johnny Immerman of Immerman Angels, the one on one peer matching gold standard for young adult cancer at AmmermanAngels.org, Kenny and I went out for our inaugural Chicagoland Stupid Cancer Boot Camp. We had over 80 people show up. It was extraordinary, very powerful, two-and-a-half hours straight of nonstop energy, passion, stories, connection, community, really good stuff, which was preceded, preceded by a virtual grand rounds that Kenny and I held at Northwestern University's Onco Fertility Consortium, well, we spoke to several hundred doctors via, like, a webcam. That's neat. Which is super neat. Um, and uh, it was moderated by Dr. Kate Timmerman, who runs their clinic, who is uh, the manager of the Young Facility Consortium. And uh, it was fantastic to get questions from residents and interns and fellows who are our age, 20s and 30s, want to know how the young adult movement works, what the mechanics are, how advocates can feel like they belong Within the conversations of doctors and that we're part of curriculum, even though we're not part of curriculum, powerful stuff. And then the next day on Friday, the Cancer Legal Resource Center, which is the gold standard of ways to uh, sort of understand your legal rights or get free lawyers to help you with your case or suing insurance companies or whatever, um, gave their one of their uh, conferences in Chicago, big conference. Two or three hundred other people came, and it was great to see all of our old friends there. Um, Just good networking, and out of this whole weekend came this new potential for a, ready for this?
2: Uh Uh-oh.
1: A young adult steering committee that would be responsible for fundraising and social planning for I2Y and Irman Angels in Chicago year-round.
2: Oh, wow. Fabulous.
1: So I'm very excited that this has a possibility to kick off, to just continue to homogenize what Johnny and I do every day. We're, We're like peas in a pod.
2: So, and speaking of which, is that where you got your t-shirt, your fabulous t-shirt that says Bald Guys Rock?
1: Um no, but I John first of all, Johnny only wears Immerman Angels t-shirts. Right. I've stayed over his house his closet is nothing but 500 black Immerman Angels medium t-shirts. What I
2: don't understand is though it's very cold or can be in Chicago during the winter and he just wears that t-shirt all year round?
1: I think he has an Immerman hoodie also. Okay. No <laughs> Maybe sweaters Immerman, though. Immerman well, scarf, I mean Immerman he's got to be, you know, yeah. That's
2: tough stuff in yeah. that windy city.
1: No, but I got this shirt in December of 2007. Okay. Someone just gave it to me. I was like, all right, does the is the shirt, like, full of syphilis? No. Okay, I'll wash it, I'll wear it, I'll take the shirt. So, yes, bald guys do rock. You and Johnny. And speaking of that, as I just close out this before we get to the big news, while I was in Chicago, I was in a photo op. It was Eric Charsky, who was on this radio show, Colon Cancer, Young West Barbara, sure, myself, uh, Joe Schneider, who will be on the show next season, but Joe Schneider, also a young adult survivor, bald, meet Johnny, and this other young adult guy named Sam. If you scroll down my wall on Facebook, there'll be like five bald guys in a picture, but I have the most hair. Whoa. And you know that it's a bald shot when I have the most hair. So I,
2: I thought you were going to say, being in Chicago, you had a photo op with Oprah. That would have been good.
1: Uh, I'm not so interested in her anymore.
2: Well, what are you saying about on the air for what? Now, what if Oprah were listening and she heard you say you're not so interested in her? Every, well, of course we're interested in Oprah. We love
1: Oprah. Oh, we Matthew, love Oprah. Matthew, okay. do I have to
2: reach over the table and
1: smack you? I mean, like, I don't watch Channel 7 because she's not on it anymore. Uh, it, okay, well, you can, <laughs> you can watch
2: own. It doesn't mean that you have to say that you're not what so.
1: That's like Channel 9 billion.
2: <laughs> it's one of the Discovery. It took no, over I'm, a Discovery all right,
1: Health. i I love you, Oprah. Please have us on your shows. <laughs> and Gail King, too. That should,
2: that should do it. Well, the call will come in any day now.
1: Gail King and Rosie O'Donnell, you should all be uh, begging us to come on your programs.
2: Well, Rosie O'Donnell has her own radio That's show. That's my over media strategy serious. right yeah. there.
1: And Rosie O'Donnell's brother is one of the New York State legislators That's who right. contributed to, Lisa?
2: The passage of same-sex marriage in New York State. <laughs>
3: Woo!
1: Big news. Very big news. Really big news. Big news. Yes.
2: This has been a uh, a big a big week for the Empire State.
1: The Empire State.
2: Yes, which was lit up in rainbow colors, by the way. It was last It night. was, that's yeah. Awesome. The, the night I, think, I think it was the night it passed.
1: That's fantastic. That yeah. I'm just overwhelmingly surprised that New York passed this before California. Yeah, well, Iowa and then... I think that's the gayest state. Well,
2: what about Iowa passing it before New York?
1: Well, Iowa has like four people in it, three of whom are gay, so... <laughs> I love you, Iowa don't we, we want to watch Iowa too. We want Iowa to get us on their show also.
2: Iowa's a terrific state.
1: <laughs>
2: flat probably right? very flat. Yeah. Very flat. Very flat. Um but no it was a big a big a big, big moment. Deal. Yes. Our uh Governor Andrew Cuomo made it a major priority. He did. He got all the alliances and got the money and made a very tight game plan to push this through and made it a priority and they kept it a nail biter they kept the vote we didn't even like know like
1: 5 minutes before midnight or something
2: went through the house yeah and didn't know if the uh, the the uh, senate the new york state senate was going to even vote on it and then it went to the 11th hour before they all took off uh on a friday night what was it yeah it was like 11:40 on friday night and we it needed we thought that uh maybe we'd get that one swing vote to push it over but it was two votes actually right. yeah. the 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 state, state senator from Poughkeepsie, yeah. which is up in the beautiful hudson valley near where i live and another uh, senator from Buffalo were the two that put it over the top.
1: I read this great article today by a very conservative Republican. I think it was on either Drudge or Fox News, where he basically said that he no longer understands the fight against gay marriage because it's been over 10 years that they've been fighting to get this to be you know, where the trend is moving now. And if the people that are against it are right and that allowing gay marriage destroys families, families would have probably been destroyed by now. Yeah. And no families have been destroyed by now outside of the standard curve of families getting destroyed, having nothing to do with who's married to who. Right. So he just used basic sociological logic that if gay marriage was going to destroy America, it would have or should have already, and the fact that it isn't even remotely anywhere near that concept just defrauds the entire opinion that, Gay marriage or legalizing gay marriage will, in fact, be detrimental to our society.
2: And look, it's not like opposite-sex marriages don't have problems <laughs> or don't raise children that have. I mean, you know, it's it's as we said not to go into a whole thing here. But um, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop and back off. Enough said. That's what.
1: Right, but I, 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 I would, would just you. I would just conclude by saying that Chris Rock was doing a bit a couple of years ago, and he said that if. If gay people want to marry and be miserable for the rest of their lives, like the rest of they us, should have right. they, they should have, have the every right, right to do to that. Be as miserable exactly. As everybody else. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's um anyway. So that's
1: uh, all right. That so our... and then uh, all right. So that's that.
2: <laughs> so that's that.
1: Nothing You know, new. but
2: I was just gonna just gonna add to that. What was interesting is also when it becomes personal. The same way, if you know, say, a cancer survivor or anybody, when something touches you personally, like I know that a lot of um, folks, you know, and some Wall Street money came from folks that aren't necessarily gay themselves but have a son, you right, know, or have exactly. a daughter or somebody. And when well, you know Dick, somebody and it's personal, it's Dick right.
1: Cheney changed, I mean, he had to play that role for eight years yeah. as the biggest douchebag on the planet because he's not giving us money so I can disparage him. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> thinks he's evil anyway. But now he's pro-gay marriage because of Lynn Cheney. Well,
2: Lynn Cheney's his wife. No, his, who's da- the daughter? Daughter. his daughter is uh, Mary.
1: Mary Cheney, sorry. Right, right. Lynn Cheney was the wife.
2: Yeah. She could be gay too. Who knows?
1: <laughs> that would be <laughs> ironic. <laughs> That's like um, uh, Fran Drescher's new show. You know, Fran Drescher yes. dated her high school sweetheart and married him. Right. And then, like 20 years later, he's like, sorry, I'm gay. Yeah. And now they're like best friends, but this new show she has on TV land called Happily Divorced. Is all about the story of how he's got a partner now and they're married and she's divorced, but they're friends and they have kids. See, if, so.
2: there, if, 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 if same-sex marriage would have been legal, he might not have had to marry somebody who clearly was not his correct partner in life, i.e., right. a woman.
1: Like Rock, it's the Rock Hudson story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Anyway. In any case, all right. Well, let's uh, let's cue up our music here because it's time to introduce, and I have to extend significant apologies. Because I never realized that she had never been officially a Survivor Spotlight on the show. Is that right? No.
2: Wow. All right.
1: So I will predicate your introduction by saying you have my deepest apologies, and I love you more than anything.
2: You can make it up to me on Thursday. Okay. In her inaugural stint in the Survivor Spotlight on this fine Monday, June 27, 2011, Amanda Freeman, who after graduating from the Eastman School of Music in 2008, one of the finest music schools in the U.S. of A., Amanda decided to attend an Ivy League college after that, Columbia University, to study to become a doctor. After only two weeks, she was diagnosed with osteosarcoma of the mandible. That's kind of like your upper jaw, correct? It's,
3: it's your lower
0: jaw.
2: It's kind of like your lower jaw. In, in February of 2009, despite a second and third diagnosis of metastatic disease, Amanda continued on with her studies. After 10, count them, 10 surgeries, over a year of chemo, a clinical trial, and 163 days in the hospital, Amanda is clearly an onco-rock star and, drum roll please, finally cancer-free. This year, she will finish her studies at Columbia and apply to medical schools. Cancer, be damned. Please welcome, everybody, Amanda Freeman.
1: Hello. Yeah, you've sat in on probably three or four dozen shows in the last two years since I've known you, and you've never been in the spotlight.
0: I I was just waiting for you to ask me, but you forgot.
1: Yeah, but every now and then you could sort of poke me.
0: (laughs) Actually, honestly, I...
1: On Facebook.
0: I was really kind of nervous. I always... Got kind of nervous even just saying hi every week.
1: So wait, I, I met you through Johnny Immerman, actually. Correct. Um, of Immerman Angels. And I've seen a tremendous growth in your maturity and your personality and just the way you hold yourself since then. So I guess maybe you, you were intimidated or shy, but I don't expect that from you anymore. You should tell me exactly what I need to do and how to do it right now. Noted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So, anyway, so we, we met. Johnny Immerman was in New York City.
0: Right. Randomly. January of 2010.
1: Right. And he um, stands out this, like, wide net. Like, hey, people from New York that don't know Matt, come to lunch. And, like, three people came. Right. But you were one of them.
0: I was. And like, it
1: was love at first sight.
0: Yeah. Johnny was so sweet when I was diagnosed. I mean, I was... Thrown into this world, and
1: how did you find out about Immerman Angels to begin with? Google. Ooh.
0: <laughs> Which goes back to what you were talking about in the introduction. Yes. Um. Yeah. And so he uh, talks with me on numerous occasions, and I always thought, "Gosh, he's so genuine," and and he honestly makes you he fakes feel. Sin- he
2: fakes sincerity very well.
0: Yeah, but I don't think it's fake.
1: Cuz he really yeah.
2: does. I remember it no, no. That was a joke. Johnny is the most We love him.
1: The most accidentally authentic person. Yeah. Yeah,
2: he's on, he's amazingly authentic. Yeah,
1: exactly. he comes across with like, "Really? You're like that?" But he really is like that. He's just a lovable <laughs> guy who loves to hug and is all about the uh the embracing people and building Building communities and That's because he's got
2: that good upper body, those good muscles. Yeah. So it's, part of it is like... You
1: gotta see muscular. Feel
2: my manly physique. <laughs>
1: exactly. All right. So talk us through this. You were a professional concert bassoonist. I was. And you had been training for how many years?
0: Thirteen years. Oh, is that all? Yeah. Not okay. that long. Play,
1: so, playing at a professional level. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, I loved the bassoon. It was my life. I couldn't imagine doing anything else with myself. But then, slowly, I realized I was spending more and more time reading about medicine and really fascinated by disease and surgeries, and it just sort of became like it it didn't feel like the right path for me, so I decided to, you know, make the change. And, you know, ironically enough, you know, I ended up being diagnosed with a cancer in my jaw, which actually have prevented me from playing the bassoon any longer, but I could sort of consider that, like, state that I, like, had this feeling before I was ever sick, that I should, like, make a change.
1: So you have ESP? I do. That's the right answer.
2: (laughs) Have you ever had the urge to pick up another instrument? Um, Because clearly you are, you know, many people, and Matthew can attest to this being another musician, can play more than one instrument if you are sort of predisposed to I mean, Being yeah. as fabulous as you are, I, that way.
0: I studied the piano at Eastman for a couple of years, and I really enjoyed it. But when you get to a certain level where you can look at a piece of music and and play it and and know it exactly what's supposed to happen, it's hard to like go to an instrument where you have to technically work on things.
1: Right. Yeah. That's like why I never took the guitar because the guitar. I like. I knew. I've been playing for thirty years. Or how old am I? Yeah, almost thirty years. I've been playing. And I wanted to just learn guitar one day, and I spent like a good two months trying to learn guitar. And like, this is too hard. I already know the other, so I know what I'm gonna go for. But just making the noises is too complicated. Yeah. So, so I just went back to piano.
0: When your ears yeah. are so fine tuned after a long period of sitting music, it's really hard to listen to yourself sound like shit.
1: Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a good point. I understand I know, that. I know exactly. So, so you were reconciled
2: yeah. that you were, were not going to play the bassoon. Yeah,
0: I mean, I had already made that decision, right. so I'd i accepted it. Yeah, I mean, I do miss playing, but, um, you know, it's just uh, more time for me to not be distracted by the past and focus on the future.
1: So now you're back in school. Right. And when do you actually graduate?
0: Uh, next May.
1: And what is your degree going to be?
0: Um, well, since I already have my bachelor's, it's it's not really a degree that I'm getting, it's a post bac program. Okay. So you just you get a certificate and then they um basically write a letter on your behalf to medical schools saying that she has this GPA and she would be an excellent candidate and you should take her. And was and that then, your like
1: like industrial studious pedagogy voice? <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> so essentially it's it's a post grad pre med to take the science courses that you may not have taken when you were a musician getting right. your B.A. Yeah. at Eastman, correct? Correct. Yeah. I've had other friends that have gone through that program at uh, Columbia. Um, so now, so then you will be in the process of applying to medical schools?
0: Right. I mean, I can either do a traditional application process or I can um, apply for a linkage, which is basically like where you pick one school, sort of like, you know, early decision. Right. And um, you know, if you get a good enough in score, then they'll accept you and you skip the whole year off and you just go straight in. So, potentially I could start next August.
1: So, assuming all this works out in your favor, uh you're not going to earn a dime until you're like 35 years old. And you'll old, be right? heavily in debt to boot. Yeah.
2: I mean,
0: I will start to earn some money when i start my residency but it'll basically be enough to like buy toilet paper and eat um you know hot pockets um when i'm not asleep so um i probably if i go in the career path that i intend probably won't actually make um a decent amount of money until i'm like 45 but that's okay
2: so what area of medicine do you plan on studying
0: um, I'm really fascinated with surgery um and really, that's sort of a product of all of my experiences um with my own illness um, But you know, really, I can't say that you can honestly make that decision until you've experienced all the different
2: fields and you get to rotate through them. I think it makes sense you're an artist, and a lot of artists you're used to you know you play the bassoon, you've worked with your hands. And it seems like there are a lot of sort of artistic types who would tend towards surgery. I mean, we have we've had other doctors on the show
1: right, but who I'm, are
2: musicians.
1: I will never cut anyone open with a scalpel.
2: Yeah, you forget about it.
1: Yeah, I'm the odd man <laughs> Absolutely, that out
2: of that one. <laughs> you certainly are, definitely. But moving on from Matthew, um, <laughs> I, I, I would trust uh, Amanda with a scalpel.
1: Oh, I would. I mean, I in, think. in like an <laughs> OR. Yeah, not like on a date or not, something. Will,
2: not wielding it around this office, <laughs> right, <please>. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> on a day when she's particularly pissed off. Um, so surgery. So that's. So that's. And just to just to recap again, um, your story in finding this again is sort of all too common. In that you first just thought you had a toothache, right? And you went to a bunch of doctors, and
0: yeah, I mean, I I've always had jaw pain my entire life. I mean, you know, I clenched my teeth at night. The kind of you TMJ know. thing? Yeah, like, I was very familiar with that. So, you know, my first symptom was actually numbness. It wasn't pain. So I thought, like, I had pinched a nerve. I was stressed out. I was working, like, double and triple shifts and not sleeping and not eating and saving every penny to move to New York. I honestly didn't think about it, even though I've always been that person who just went to the doctor. Um I didn't think about it. And then I moved to New York, and literally the day after I moved to New York, the pain started, and it was the worst pain I'd ever felt in my life. And I was like, oh, my God, what do I do? And I didn't know. I didn't know anybody in New York. I didn't want to go to the ER because I thought they'll probably just think I'm like a junkie looking for pain meds. They, and, you know, who knows how long I'll wait. I mean, this is New York City. I didn't know anything about New York. I thought, like, you know, you go to the ER and you'll be there for four days. before they. That's true. See
2: you. you are there for four right. days. Right, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So I just sort of, I waited till I went home to Georgia, but it was Christmas time. Like, nobody, nobody would see me. My doctor was out of town, and so I went to the ER, and, yeah, they ignored me. You know, they gave me some pain meds and said, go see another doctor. Go find a doctor, you know. So I had to go through this process of finding a doctor in New York, and I just sort of bounced around with, you know, a, a whole bunch of, you know, oh, it's just TMJ or, oh, it's, you know, stressed or, oh, you you have an infection, you know. Until
2: finally one doctor said you should have a biopsy.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, I had been on antibiotics for over a month and a doctor was like, we're going to do a CAT scan and we're going to do a biopsy. Um, and so I was like, okay, you know, but even he thought that it was like an infection. He was like, I think I have to call a CDC. He's like, because it's not healing. Um, but, you know, they did the biopsy, and, you know, a couple of days later, he was like, I, c- I can't believe I have to tell you this. He said, you know, he's been in practice for like 30 years. He was like, I've only seen this one other time in my career. You're like, fabulous. Golden and ticket
2: is mine. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and it's strange, you know. I was nodding and knew that he was going to say cancer before he actually yeah. said the words. Yeah. So, you know, your your gut knows.
1: Well, we have to read the news because Julie just called in, so we'll get to her in a second. But you are here all evening. You can chime in anytime you want. And I hope, it is my hope, that having you on tonight as our Survivor Spotlight has mended any and all fences by my unintentionally ignoring the fact that you've been on the show 2,000 times, <laughs> but never officially as a Survivor Spotlight. Aww. And that I love you and adore you forever.
2: Well, I've always known that. I second now. that. Yes. <laughs>
1: she loves me and adores me forever. <laughs> Not you, dummy. Amanda Freeman. All right, let's uh let's queue up the news here, and we'll get to that right now. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am.
2: Okay,
1: during this part of the stupid cancer show we announced to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs events services that we don't want you missing out on and they're all free and they're all just for young adults with cancer things like conferences happy hours retreats kayaking and mountain climbing trips karaoke nights finance webinars college scholarships bar crawls concerts tweet-ups support groups and more if you have something that you'd like to be read during this part of the show please send us an email to info at stupidcancer.com that is info at stupidcancer.com all right folks head on over to events.stupidcancer.com your
2: one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods and we certainly don't want you missing out. Matthew,
1: what's coming up? All right. Stupid Cancer Happy Hour in Michigan, June 24th. In San Diego, June 30th. In Nashville, July 13th. In D.C. Metro on July 13th. Long Island, July 14th. Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania, August 17th. And there is a canoeing adventure for singles with cancer on Thursday, August 25th. Go to uh, solosurvivors.org, solosurvivors.org for a canoeing adventure for singles with cancer.
2: All right, we're gearing up for the 2012 OMG Cancer Summit in Las Vegas, Nevada early next year. Get the scoop on our upcoming Save the Date. That means we're sending you a Save the Date, and we're going to give you some scoop on that. So join the Facebook group and sign up for the mailing list. It's at omg2012.org.
1: The Stupid Cancer Forums are literally on fire with over 900 members, growing by leaps and bounds every week. This is your premier online community for young adults to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com. Sign up with one click through Facebook. All right, you want to help but don't know
2: how? Join the Stupid Cancer Street Team. It's free, it's easy, you can win great prizes, build our grassroots efforts, and meet thousands of authentic fans from around the globe. Sign up today at stupidcancerarmy.com.
1: And as always, be sure to register yourself with Immerman Angels, our partner in one-to-one peer matching, at immermanangels.org. And check out the calendar for First Descent, the premier young adult outdoor adventure organization, First Descent. And that That is is your your stupid Stupid Cancer News. And now, the moment you've been waiting for. Julie Clark founded the Baby Einstein Company in 1997, selling it to Disney five years later. She went on to create the safe side, producing DVDs for children on the topic of personal and Internet safety. She is a two-time breast cancer survivor diagnosed at the age of 37 with infiltrating ductal carcinoma and was declared cancer-free following a double mastectomy. Nearly five years later, she's learned that her cancer had returned and metastasized her liver. She has since... (coughs) Whoa! You all right there, boy? My throat just gave out on me. Nearly five years later, she's learned that her cancer had returned and metastasized her liver. She has since been declared cancer-free again following treatment has recently written a children's book called you are your best medicine which helps children understand how important their love is during a parent's cancer treatment i can't say more how more how important that is julie lives in colorado with her husband bill and daughters aspen and sierra please welcome to the stupid cancer show the one and only julie clark julie
3: hey how are you matthew
2: Welcome,
1: Julie. We're thrilled to have you. I'm sorry, thank I just you so experienced much, Lisa. Like a loss of my esophagus during your bio. He's all—he's actually all—he's all choked up. He's, he's well, it's nice to
3: talk to You guys, thanks for having me on the show.
1: No, we're very excited, and uh, quite honestly, I—I I have to thank and a special shout out to Elise Kaplan from uh, Living Beyond Breast Cancer yeah. Foundation.
2: Oh, I adore from, Elise.
1: Yeah I, yeah, I just saw Elise at Ask and She—she she was the one that suggested that I get in touch with you because she'd be great on the show. And then, of course, I invited Elise on the show, and she's like, well, I don't know. But so special <laughs> show. we'll get Elise on the show for, for October breast cancer. Absolutely. Uh, yeah,
3: because I think Elise is a survivor as well. Yes, she yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Like yes, she 20 years or something. I mean, she's, yeah. she's rocking it.
1: So, yeah, um, so, yeah
3: she's, a, she's a great lady.
1: So that's how those stars align to get us in touch. And and it's just—and I think you spoke um, at the uh, Young Women Breast Cancer Conference.
3: I did. Yes, I did in February in Orlando and um yes it was it was you know it's it's one of those things um that is always you know amazing and powerful to do but also almost inexplicably emotional i mean i can i can sit here and sort of like read my speech over and over and over but when i actually am standing up there in front of all those people who are going through the same thing it is just such a visceral experience you know you just you feel in that room so much um, you know just that strength and that power and everybody just fighting so hard and it just is so moving you know it's just incredible so well yeah.
1: we we um yeah. we had many many attendees from our organization there and they all heard you and they could not say enough good things about
3: oh, your message that's...
1: and your story so we we were right i wasn't there with you Um, But I heard nothing but good things about it. And then when Elise called me and said, you got to do this, and then I saw her again, it's good karma all around. And I will share with you that that Elise decided that there were not enough uh, testicles in Orlando. (laughs) So I've been invited to speak next year. As probably one of the only men who's going to Do you have be
2: testicles? There. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: I do have I didn't, <laughs> I, You just I was
2: set up for that. Uh, I couldn't resist. Well,
1: I'm I married so with two children, it. so... So I, you've been I, stripped of them completely.
2: I have, <laughs> that I doesn't have, mean anything. I have
1: the illusion of testicles. <laughs> 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 so I don't know if you're going to go back next year or whatever, but just know that, that the message is there. It's a very powerful group, and um, I yeah. will, uh, I'm will. i very excited to be a part of what you have very experienced. So.
3: Oh, um, that's great. Well it is i mean it's just it's a it's an incredible place to be and everybody is out there looking for the next answer you know and sometimes i think what is it that you know for whatever reason i'm in a really good place right now that has you know i mean stage 4 cancer and yet i'm cancer free and uh boy sometimes i just think wow you know why me and what does it mean and is it going to change for me or you know stay this way and um we're all just out there hoping and fighting and doing our best right
2: Absolutely, Julie. I'm a breast cancer survivor myself, um, 16 years at this point, and Hooray. Uh, right. um, yeah, hooray. Right. And so we obviously know we're going to go back over Baby Einstein, which is um, an incredible uh, business that you built and what is it now? It's 30 children's books and videos and albums and everything. Um, but tell us, tell us, first of all, where in your moguldom you sort of were when you first were diagnosed.
3: Well, it was actually, I had already sold the company, so um, I was about, uh, the company was about 10, or no, I'm sorry, not quite that old. It was about uh, seven years old, and um, I'd already sold the company to Disney. I was still doing consulting for Baby Einstein at that time, um, and I was in the process of starting another company called The Safe Side, which you very kindly mentioned, um, and The Safe Side was about helping children understand how to stay safe, either on the Internet or with people that they don't know. And this was really something that came about as a result of having kids who were in elementary school now, no longer babies, and I wanted my kids to understand how to keep themselves safe. And so John Walsh and I partnered up actually to create the Safe Side, and it was just a great way to, to teach children about safety. But in the course of um, editing that first film called Stranger Safety, we um, I was in the editing suite and discovered at the age of 37 a very small, very, very small lump in my breast. And um, I was, you know, feeling very fortunate. I found out it was stage one, and I thought myself very lucky because I'd caught it really early. And so um, I, you know, I kind of went ahead, got the mastectomy, which was, considered quite radical at the time because my cancer was so small as a stage one cancer. However, it was grade three, so it was very aggressive. And um, I was HER2 positive, but I did not do Herceptin. I did not do chemo. I was really opposed to those things at the time. And so I just opted for double mastectomy, came out with a clean PET scan, and went right back to work, went right back into the safe side, and, and um, you know, just kind of got back my life and said okay well i was really lucky i i finished cancer i'm done with that now i put that aside and i was completely done with it and um uh, and then as you as you mentioned almost five years later um, found another lump in almost exactly the same place where the first one had been except this time it had metastasized to my liver and so i got that terrible news at the age of mm, 42 so
2: um yeah so that's kind of where i was so where did you, just, did you where did you feel the lump? Had you had reconstructive surgery or no? Was it sort of in the chest wall, or how did you actually how did you find it? Where was it?
3: I'll tell you, it was really weird. So the first time, in case you're going, well, why were you feeling your breast in the editing suite? Why not?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it right now, actually. She is. I there it you go. It. <laughs> what had happened
3: is um, I had been the, the first time at Theater Thirty Seven. I'd been working out and. Um, And I had just really sore muscles, like, under my arm. And the first lump that I felt was there. It was in my armpit more than you'd even think it was on your breast. It was more like in my armpit. And um, I was just massaging it because it was really sore from working out, and that's when I found it the first time. The second time was just, I I have no explanation for it. It's so weird, Lisa. um, I was on my way home from a trip. And I was on a flight from London, and I had this very, very strange sensation of a very deep itching in exactly the same place where my tumor had been removed Hmm. um, years before. And so because I had this itching, I'm like digging around there sort of in my armpit area. I'm like, God, this is so weird. And then I felt sort of like a swelling. It felt different than the first time because the first time it felt like a tiny little pebble, The second time, it felt more like a lymph node might be swollen. And so um, I got home, and that was on a Thursday. On a Friday, I went to see my doctor, just my regular GP, and um, she said, you know, I think it's probably a swollen lymph node. Let's just send you anyway for an ultrasound. So on Monday, I went for an ultrasound. I was actually on my way to the airport because I had been doing some consulting still with Baby Einstein, and I was on my way to California. I swung by the um, radiologist's office for this quick ultrasound that I was sure was going to be nothing. And she took you know she took a look at the film and she said, you know, I don't like the way this looks at all. I want to biopsy it right now. Hmm. So, you know, that's like a Monday morning and I'm going, wait a minute, I've got a ticket, I'm leaving in two hours. And um, in any case, I didn't go to California. She did biopsy it. And um, the next day, Tuesday, I found out that it was indeed breast cancer, in the same location that my first tumor had been, I had another tumor. And even though I'd had that swelling, it was also, the second time, a very small tumor. The tumor itself, again, was under a centimeter, which it was the first time. And so, you know, I guess I was inclined to think, although I just in the last couple weeks read that very small tumors can often be more deadly and aggressive, um, that very small tumor Turned out to again have metastasized to my liver, and I had a couple of lymph nodes involved as well. So at that point, I had the the primary tumor removed. I had 10 lymph nodes removed, um, six of which were positive. And of course, I couldn't have my liver removed, so I started chemotherapy. Um, Livers are overrated. As soon as possible, there you go. <laughs> so, but now, I mean, here was the really amazing part of my story. When I went for my, um, for my consultation with the doctor after discovering it in my liver, I was told that there were so many tumors on both of my nodes of my liver. Um, one side had two, two tumors about two centimeters each, and the other side had so many tumors that they couldn't count them. They just said innumerable lesions, um, too many to give a number to, Hmm. and um, so that was obviously terrifying, but um, here I am today, almost three years later, and I have no evidence of disease. I've had no evidence of disease since I finished chemotherapy, which was um, I had six rounds of chemo after my diagnosis the second time, and I also do Herceptin, so I get Herceptin every three weeks. And I had my ovaries out and I take Famara and I do all those things because I had ERPR positive cancer and I also had her 2 overexpression. So
2: Right there we are, yeah. And do you have are there symptoms that you experience because of the uh metastases on the on the liver or no?
3: You know, I felt like I was having sort of some pain in that area of my abdomen, like on the right-hand side of my abdomen. Um, The doctor has told me that that couldn't have been the case because the tumors were too small for me to really, like, feel anything. But I feel as if I'm very, very receptive to my body's messages. Sure. um, Whatever that means. I just, you know, but I do feel like, I think your previous guest was saying, you know, you kind of know. I mean, you you sort of have this sensation that maybe this is something really serious. And I did have that sort of feeling. So, you know, again, I I think that doctors don't always know. I mean, if they haven't experienced it themselves, all they have is hearsay. So I I do think that I had that.
2: that Yeah, I'm totally in agreement with you on that. I know Matthew's going to jump in here in a second, but I felt the same way. I mean, I had a certain pain and a certain tightness in in the side of my breast, and You know, there was just a sixth sense, as much as I didn't want to believe it. Um, And every doctor said, pain is not associated with cancer. That must mean that's a a good sign. And I was like, eh, not so sure. (laughs) I agree. You really have to
0: listen to your body because even I, I was like,
2: after my first, you know,
0: relapse, they were like, oh, it was just one little spot. You'll be fine when we take it out. But my gut said, like, no, I need more help. So it's right. important
1: to like for people to yeah. voice that. Um, Julie, I had a question for you. Um, you may know, or I guess I'll tell you now, we work very closely with the Young Survival Coalition um, mm-hmm. because we're both doing you know young adult cancers. They're breast cancer-focused. We're all cancer-focused. But there are so many sort of mutually relatable issues that affect us. The question that I usually ask all of our guests is, you know, diagnosed, I'm 37 now, so, you know, you were diagnosed at 37. Right. Were you in a room I mean I know you didn't go through like You know chemo or anything back then But did you find yourself Feeling like you know uh, Sort of chronologically displaced While you were going through all your procedures Or talking to your doctors
3: Oh my god yeah I mean I think I still do I've I've been fortunate to Connect with you know People who don't want to be in, in this group But of course um, I've been fortunate to, to be in a great support group With some amazing ladies But none of them go to my doctor And so Yeah, you know, I I do. And I I have to say, and maybe it's just part of being an old person, but there's this old woman who is always there when I go for treatment for her septum every three weeks. And she's always, you know, she's getting chemo and she's a much older person. She's probably in her late 70s, early 80s. And um, she literally looked at me the first time I saw her in that room and she said, you're too young. Why do you have this disease? I't oh, you know i mean and and you're sitting there going, "Wow, I mean, like could you just be a little kinder? I mean, you do <laughs> feel sort of that that oppressive oldness around you, and you <laughs> feel like you don't have anybody to to kind of you know experience or express their experiences with you in the same way, so when I talk about what it was like to talk to my children about it or to live as a mommy with um, cancer and have to talk to my kids and tell them that I had this disease. It's an awfully lot, you know, it's it's much, much different than that 80-year-old woman having to tell her 55-year-old daughter she's got cancer. You know, it's just obviously so much different. So, well, let's
1: move in that direction. Okay. I want to move in that direction because we yeah. talk about, you know, the caregiver role of young adults with cancer on their children, or the caregiver role for someone like your spouse having to deal with your children when you can't communicate with them, or how do you communicate with young children whose young adult parents are sick? This falls directly within the lens of the young adult movement because we have our shit to deal with while we're going through our shit. And as a a new father of twin 14-month-olds, I can not even begin to comprehend how I would deal with them as they start to grow and mature if something unfortunate were to happen again to me or my wife right. so, so this came out of direct experience and personal need you had to learn to speak to your kids about certain things
3: right well and and you know the first time around my kids were younger they were six and nine and so um, you know they had an understanding of the disease plus it was stage one not to ever say that's easy because God knows it's not but um, I really did feel like it was gone and, and that I was going to be able to to kind of just blow through it, blow through it to some degree, you know, double mastectomy later. But um, I, I the first time around, I literally sat down at the kitchen table and I just said, Mommy has cancer, but I don't have the kind that you die from. Those were my words. And, wow. you know, whether or not it was true, I, it didn't matter to me at the time. I literally could not have my children thinking that their mommy was gonna die. I mean I just it it was just inconceivable to me. And sure. so I couldn't do it, you know, and, and um I will tell you that the second time my kids of course were older, they were eleven and thirteen. And um at the time I said something similar. I did not tell my kids then that it was stage four. Um I couldn't even say it to myself. I couldn't say it out loud. I mean it was just I didn't tell anybody at the time um, because again I, I, I truly couldn't even talk about it myself it, to myself you know Yeah, sure. I just had to like get through it I just had to go I was like I'm going to do chemo I'm just going to get through it so I just told my kids you know my cancer came back but now I have to take this medicine and it's going to make me sick but it's going to get rid of the cancer And um, and that was kind of it later of course You know, a year and a half or so later, when I did start feeling more comfortable talking about it, of course I was better, quote unquote better. You know, I had no evidence of disease anymore. um, I did tell my children the the you know about the seriousness of the disease, and of course then they discovered it as well because now I've got this book out, this children's book, and you know my website talks about the stage four disease. But um, and that's you are the
2: best. We should mention that the book again is you are the best medicine.
3: You are the best medicine. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and the website is. Youarethebestmedicine.com,
2: um,
3: but in any case, my older daughter has since kind of expressed to me that she felt like I should have been more. Um, I should have talked more about what was going on because as they were older, the second time, they felt like I was just glazing over it. They could, they they picked up on that now, you know, because they were older and. They understood how serious cancer really was. I mean, both both of them knew people who had died of cancer, and, you know, they, they understood how serious it was. They're teenagers so now, correct? They are, yeah. They're 14 and 16. And, um, you know, and I think that still my daughter will say, um, you know, I hate it when I watch TV. And whenever somebody dies in a show on TV, they always die of cancer, which is true. I mean, I don't know about you, but I just feel like, could we just not have somebody dying of cancer? Like, whenever somebody dies in a show, does it have to be cancer? (laughs) Could it be like, I don't know, something else? But, um, you know, I I think it it is hard. And and the goal of the book, I should say, is um, when my kids, the second time when I was diagnosed, and my kids, of course, were a little bit older, I was thinking about, how important it is to tell your kids what they can do to help you. And, you know, they can't give you medicine and they can't, um, you know, drive you to the doctor because they're little and all that stuff. But they can love you and they can tell you you're beautiful when you don't have hair. Yeah. And they can climb in bed next to you and, you know, and and lay with you and watch TV when you're not feeling good. And so You Are the Best Medicine was really a way to tell my children and other children out there who, whose parents are suffering from cancer that they are so important because in the end, even though it may be the chemo that saved me or the Herceptin that saved me or whatever it was in terms of medicine, nothing gave me the strength to fight as hard as I did. As the love of my children, so it, like kind of ultimately it boiled down to that, you know.
1: Right. Well, so I go really back to the this, best medicine. I go back to this book that changed my life. And this is long before I got sick. Um, but uh-huh. the, if you're familiar with a gentleman named Dr. Bernie Siegel, sure. Uh, oh Bern, yeah, sure. Bernie is is, is 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 I will use an SAT word. Bernie is avuncular. Wow. He is much like an uncle <laughs> to me. He was one of my mentors when I was. I'm going to
2: Google that right yes. now just to make sure. <laughs> avuncular.
1: <clears throat> There is, by the way, in non-self-creator, there is no female version of the word avuncular.
2: Over-relating to an uncle.
1: Yes, exactly. There is no (laughs) other relating to an uncle.
2: There's no, right, there's no 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 no,
1: avantular. No No avantular. (laughs) But Bernie Siegel wrote a book in the 80s, long before its time, called Love, Medicine, and Miracles. I remember, yeah. And he was lambasted by the community in the medical world because how dare you think that... You know, your own mind or your... Right, for
2: being too touchy-feely. Anything
1: that's non-clinical can't possibly make you better. And that book has served as a staple for me. And the fact that I I knew about it in college just through my studies, and then I got sick and I read the book and then I met the man and he stewarded me, what you're saying is dead on. The love and the medicine play a dual role.
2: Absolutely.
1: uh, Um, What I wanted to tell you, though, is uh, I, I, I mentioned I had twins that are 14 months old now. I want you to tell me what every parent every parent that I meet with older children has to tell me a scary thing that I'm waiting to expect <laughs> from my kids so what what am I to look forward to that will scare the crap out of me once they as they age <laughs>
3: um, well my daughters as I was talking to you my office, my home office looks out in, in my courtyard like in, you know outside of my driveway and I watched my daughters, 14 and 16, <laughs> excuse me, drive away.
1: Oh. Oh, I'm sure wow. they
3: were going to get ice cream. But I'll tell you, wow. when you see your kids in the car together the first time, and one of them is driving, and there's nobody else in the car, that oh. is,
2: I don't, don't even heart have failure. kids, and that's freaking me out. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> wow.
3: So, um, yeah, I mean, they're my, you know, other people say this as well. I'm sure, but I do have great kids. I have really great kids. I. I have teenagers that I like.
2: I mean, how amazing is that? <laughs> well, you must, you must and, and we'd be remiss with that. I really want to um, shift and, and actually talk about Baby Einstein because what you've created and put into this world um, on so many levels is an amazing thing. And starting with Baby Einstein and being a female entrepreneur, which I give you all the props in the world for, <laughs> which is a, it's difficult cool for anybody to be an entrepreneur. It is harder for women to be. Successful entrepreneur, you—you created, um, or Julie Clark, yes. uh, what you created—an incredible world uh, that's put so much good into. You know, when I Facebooked your appearance tonight, I all of a sudden had you know friends of mine in my local town. My kids like you know outside of the whole <laughs> cancer community, everybody of course jumped on and giving thumbs up, and oh my gosh, my kids really amazing um backtrack and tell us a bit of the story as to how you because i think it's fascinating you were somebody who had you had a background in the arts is that right and you wanted to kind of educate kids about this so fill us in a little bit as to how you got the whole thing started
3: sure um well i was i had been a teacher i was an art and english teacher and um high school and middle school though not little tiny kids and um i left teaching when my first daughter was born and i really wanted to be a stay-home mom which i was and i'm happy to say i still am um but in the course of that first year of my oldest daughter's life i just really began missing uh i I missed teaching the things that i loved so um you know i had been a, a great reader of literature and i loved art and um, loved art history. And, of course, I had a little tiny baby, so how do you teach that to a baby? Well, that was sort of my question. And um, in the midst of of Barney being on TV, which no offense (laughs) to Barney, I think that was, you know, it served a great purpose for a lot of kids, but I just couldn't have it on in my house. It made me insane. (laughs) Wait, tell um, us how you really feel. So. Um, I came up with this idea of, you know, I read to my daughter all the time and we and, and we look at pictures together and she just loves looking at these picture books. And so wouldn't it be cool if I could basically take that board book, that picture book, and put it on a screen so that she it would enable her to watch something that she really liked looking at and almost incidentally listen to classical music, which I loved. So it it had this great it served this great purpose which was you know she was watching something she really enjoyed and she was being exposed to something that i really loved and that i felt was really good for her i mean not because it was going to make her smarter necessarily it was just because god knows i mean we could all listen to classical music and and you know reap the benefits of just the beauty of it you know it's really beautiful yeah. i mean there's a reason why it's hundreds of years old i mean there's a reason why we still listen to mozart today And so um, that was really the the original intent, and um, I shot the first two videos in my basement um, just with borrowed video equipment. My husband helped me, and we edited it on our home computer um, using Adobe Premiere, and it took kind of forever because we didn't really know what we were doing, Um, and we figured it out, and after that first year, I... Had a video. I named it Baby Einstein. I had no idea I was even starting a company. (laughs) And that little logo that you see on the Baby Einstein packages is actually a logo that I drew on my kitchen table um, with my daughter's crayons. I mean, and and that's still the logo that's on all those Disney packages that are all over the world now. So it's pretty cool. And it was just one of those things. It was needed. It was, you know, people wanted it for their kids. Their kids ended up loving it. And so word of mouth was just amazing for us. We never. In the five years that my husband and I owned the company, we never ran an ad. We wow. literally just had people wow. talking about it. And as you know, if you have 14-month-olds, if somebody said to you, you know, Matthew, my son is also teething, but when I pop in Baby Bach, he stops crying. You'd be like, I will pay $500 for <laughs> that Baby Bach. CD. If it will right. make my son stop crying right. when he's teething, I will be happy. So, you know, that's kind of what happened to us. It was um, it was really an amazing story, and it was so much fun because we were making what we loved. Um, right. I mean,
2: the key, I can't the tell key you is how the, ha- the, Yeah, the key to the success of any other. But, I mean, I realize Baby
1: Einstein should be part of a diversified portfolio of relationship mm-hmm. engagement with your children. I of know course. too many people that, like, turn on the VCR.
2: Minus Barney. Or <laughs>
1: put the DVD <laughs> in the laptop and then, like, leave the kids for two hours. Yeah. Oh, right. Like, no, yeah. don't do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although it's, it's I mean, nice that, if yeah. you have to, but you shouldn't do that.
3: Well, absolutely not. I mean, and, and, you know, so the original intent was, yeah, you know, sit with your baby, listen to something that you enjoy. I mean, we've, you know, again, like in reference to Barney or Sesame Street, I mean, at, at times we do let our children watch television, and hopefully it's appropriate television. And this was just another means of an appropriate program that you could put on for your child and either watch with them or sometimes allow them to watch on their own for a short period of time
1: which short period of time I was
3: a stay-home mom I mean there were certainly you know times when my husband came home from work at five o'clock and I hadn't had a shower yet because you know my babies were um, you know teething or tired or they didn't want to be put down and so you know I didn't have a chance to do that so it's kind of it was it was you know also a nice way to kind of have that time to do what you needed to do as a mom and know that your child was watching something appropriate
2: That's phenomenal, and then also the safe side again, another terrific idea that put something good out there, particularly in these times of the internet and how- you know oh kids are God. so hooked into that
3: absolutely it's so scary I mean what you know what our kids can see on the internet in you know even without choosing to see it that they can see by accident right. is stuff that when i was, you know, 18 years old, i wouldn't even know where to go to see, you know? Right. i mean, so um it is very scary and you know, i do have to say that in terms of the safe side, all of our prof- all of our profits have gone to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So we've actually donated about a quarter of a million dollars so far. Wow. Center for Missing and Exploited children, Actually, really you are bad. wrong.
1: You have donated $240,998. Oh. You are, <laughs> 10, are you $10,002 <laughs> too high. It's only so $240,000. dollars <laughs> so sorry. Get your facts straight, ma'am.
2: <laughs> That's probably yeah. Yeah.
1: you are Yeah. You are in Yiddish what we would call a like Guten What it is that? It's a good soul that does good work. Well, Absolutely. Thank you.
3: I I hope to be, and I and I really hope that, you know, kind of one of the things that's my new missive is um, when you're given the diagnosis that I received, particularly as a stage four patient, um, you are just in a world of darkness. I mean, it's it's terrible, and of course, like every other person, all you do is go on the internet and start reading about sure. all the people who are dying from the disease that you have. And it is terrible. So um, my goal is to try to tell people, look, here I am, stage 4 cancer, tumors all over my liver, innumerable tumors, and I have no evidence of disease. I've had a PET scan every, well, first, every three months for the first two years, and now every six months. I just had a PET scan. I just had a great blood test result. I'm um, like mean, twenty-seven, twenty-nine, 29. And, and, you know, I mean, I want people to know that, there is life after stage four cancer, and um, you know I don't know how long it'll be. I hope it's for the next fifty years, and it may be, and I'm hopeful for that. You know, so
1: well, let me get to hope. I, we have a few minutes left, but I want to I want to go not necessarily off topic, but I'd love your personal opinion on that comment you just made. Do you believe earnestly that this country understands the idea that there is life after cancer? I think, and the reason I asked that uh, before I await your your answer is that we struggle, much like the YSC struggles, as an organization built around survivorship and quality of life with and through your disease, that most of this country doesn't appreciate the fact that we're not dying anymore and that those of us that may die don't die the next day and that life is extended with a focus on quality. We struggle with this. I've had conversations with most of the women over at YSC for years now. How does an advocacy organization make the case such as, I mean, I had brain cancer 15 and a half years ago, and right. I I just had an MRI last week, and I was scared out of my mind because the, the fear right. never goes away on the day you're getting the test. That's
3: but, right.
1: So my my just just my question to you is like, you're still alive. You had this, you went through this severe challenge. Do people really understand that the, when the doctor says you're cured or no evidence of the disease, go home? That's not really the end of the story.
3: God, you know, I, I think that um that we don't even I mean, even me, when I hear myself say it, I'm afraid to say it because I feel like if it doesn't happen, you know, if, if I say I'm cured and, and no doctor has told me I'm cured because they never say it, they won't. Right. Um, when you're stage four they'll never say you're cured. Which I hate. It's such right. bullshit. <laughs> that's what I really need to hear. I just want a doctor to say it to me. It's like, I'm like a serial oncology user. I keep like changing my oncologist because I think I'm waiting for one of them to say you're cured. Um, but even when I hear myself say it, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to say it because I'm afraid that if it comes back, I will be so devastated. And I don't know if that's part of it for people. I don't know if people... You know, I, I never want to sound angry because I think so many people try so hard to do the right thing and make donations to various causes, And um, but it does irritate me when I see, for example, a pink ribbon on, like, you know, a box of toilet paper and rent my dog's food, and, you know, and it's <laughs> like, come on, you know, like, if you really care about the cause, can you just, like, donate the money to the cause? Do you really have to, like, yeah. buy the...
2: You talk, meow, you're, you're preaching to the choir here on that one. <laughs> yeah.
1: We, no, we actually really work, with, we work with a group called Breast Cancer Action in San Francisco. If you don't know them, check them out, Breast Cancer oh, Action. Wow. Um, uh-huh.
3: They
1: they have this wholly awesome consumer anti-consumer campaign every October that totally takes on the pink dog food companies and the pink blender <laughs> companies and the pink yogurt companies really? and calls yeah. them out on their BS of how it's basically taking advantage of consumer goodwill when people would be more impactful just writing a check. You would love yes. their organization.
3: Yes, that's great. I will definitely check them out. Breast Cancer Action. Yes. Um, so I didn't completely answer your question, I guess, and I don't really know how to answer it. No, but there, re- there really isn't well. no right answer.
1: It's yeah. sort of a trick yeah. question. I, I don't like yeah. to use the word cured either. I mean, as young adult survivors, all of us here in the room, I don't yeah. want a five-year remission rate. You know, I want a I 50-year remission right, rate. Exactly. I don't want to be cured at 22 because right. I have the next 60 years to get it again. I could deal with cure if I'm 75.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So, yeah, I feel exactly the same way. And I think that unless you're in the position that you you guys are in and that I'm in and that your listeners are in, you you can't really understand it. You know, I don't know that I did before I had this disease. So Right. You can't blame people, I guess. Everybody, You know, people mean well and they, they want you to be well. But um, it's such a weird... You know dilemma, because I don't even know how I want people to respond when people don't ask me about it, when I see friends and, and they don't say like, "How are you feeling? I get kind of pissed right, but then when right they right. Ask me I get kind of pissed, so I don't really know you know I don't know what to tell them if they said to me, How do you want me to respond?" I'm like, "I don't know' because one minute it's one way and another minute it's another
2: way,
1: yeah. so or crazy. would you rather them say but you look so good. Yes,
2: I would. <laughs> yeah,
1: good. Nice.
2: I'm just glad that, you know, sixteen years ago when I was diagnosed, you could still smoke in restaurants and bars in New York. And I actually had like friends that lit up cigarettes right across tables from me just as I was diagnosed. I'm oh actually my I'm God. I'm glad that that's gone away. Right, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then you're, you're sitting very very there much.
2: going, Wait a minute, how come I have cancer? This right, exactly.
1: Is ridiculous.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't smoke. Exactly.
1: Damn straight. Uh, well,
2: this is phenomenal. Gosh, Julie, we could uh, we could keep you on all night here. But um... you're so sweet.
1: No, but her daughter just drove her away, so she's free. <laughs> she's free for the rest of the evening. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Woohoo! Kids are gone. Yeah. That's it, right. So
1: we'll keep her on all night. Yeah.
2: Oh God, um, I just need I, brothers. I,
1: see. Where do you live in Colorado?
3: We live just southeast Denver, so we're actually in the city of Centennial, but that doesn't mean much to anybody. So we're southeast Denver in kind of a rural area.
1: I might be making a trip out to Denver this fall. I'd love to meet you for a drink or something, if you could please it away. I wish
2: you would. Yeah. Wait, I want to come, can't too.
1: Can't All right, Lisa's coming. Lisa's that. going to be my freight. He's coming as baggage.
2: <laughs> well, if you're Thank coming you. from the East Coast, it's, dry it's a dry heat here. So. It's a dry
1: heat, yeah.
2: And she's got daughters Aspen and Sierra. That's I know. Very, that's, that's very territorially appropriate. That's very mountain
1: <laughs> time. Right.
3: Yeah. right. That's right. So, um, no, but I would love that. I, I wish you would. You have my email address, and I wish you would definitely please look me up. That would yeah. be really nice.
1: For, you're, sure, you're, for sure. You're
2: stuck with us now, is what we're trying you to are. tell you. <laughs> yeah, you <are. laughs> well, good. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much for yeah. everything you do. No, this thank you for
1: your time. Spectacular. This, is, this is all good karma. You're doing great stuff, and I can't thank you enough from a narcissistic perspective as having 14 <laughs> month, month old twins that love your DVDs. But at the end of the day, you are a good teneshima. You're doing good work. You're amazing to tell your story, be so confident about it, but yet be so vulnerable and normal about it as well.
3: <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, and, again, thanks for, for what you guys do too. All
1: right. Really
3: nice to talk to you.
1: All right, okay, everybody. you Julie, too, Julie. Clark, everybody. Take thank care. you so much. Thank you. Uh, she's she awesome. Is, she is fantastic. I mean, I when Elise from Living Beyond Breast Cancer uh, emailed me, um, and said, "I know her. You should really, you know, get down to earth, perfectly yep. normal, easy to talk to, honest, and just great." She's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yep. And she helps me be a better parent. <laughs> wow. Yes. Not many things can say <laughs> that. Help me be a better parent of fourteen month old twins. Anyway, so that's that. Great show. A really great show. Alrighty, and now it is time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo. You've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer.
2: Oh, I love it. We switched it out. Our new Stupid Cancer rap, courtesy of Herbalist.
1: Goodbye, Love Boat. All right. You've been a friend for four years.
2: (laughs) That's tonight's show, folks. That's our 191st broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at
1: Stupid Cancer. I would like to personally thank our in-studio guests, Mr. James Manning and our intern, Grace McDermott, and our live guests, Amanda Freeman, Julie Clark, All right, everybody, next week's show, perfect for the July 4th
2: weekend, tanning, skin cancer, and melanoma with Jennifer Stein, M.D. She's Associate Director of Pigmented Lesion Services, Department of Dermatology at NYU, and Samantha Guild, who's a young adult sibling, and National Patient Advocate at AIM at Melanoma, and in our Survivor Spotlight, Juliana Carvat, who is a young adult survivor of melanoma.
1: If you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget, folks, they are all free on iTunes at any time by going to iTunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives anytime. Once again, at stupidcancershow.com. All right. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhard, myself, and our whole team here at i2i. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next time. Go to bed, Kenny.